You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Beatrix Williams, a graduate of Stanford University with an MBA from Columbia. Beatrice spent several years in New York and London hiding her early attempts at fiction, first on company laptops as a communications strategy consultant, and then as a mother before she published Overseas, A Hundred Summers, The Secret Life of Violet Grant, Tiny Little Thing, Along the Infinite Sea, and The Forgotten Room. She lives in Connecticut, and she joins us today to talk about her new book, A Certain Age, publishing by William Morrow on June 28th. Welcome, Beatrice. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, A Certain Age is the story of an older woman, Teresa Marshall of Fifth Avenue in Southampton, Long Island, and a younger man, Teresa's paramour, Captain Octavian Rofrano. 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 Although he's not. He's, he's Italian in my version, but in the actual inspiration for the story, he wasn't. So uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I haven't okay, really yeah, pronounced that, that it aloud. We'll go with Rofrano because okay. he's Italian in this book. He's also a handsome aviator and a hero of the Great War. And then there's Ox, Teresa's brother, who wants to marry Sophie. And Sophie, a young woman from a wealthy but sketchy background, And the story really gets started when Ox asks Octavian to act as his cavalier and propose to Sophie in his name. First of all, we got to stop right there and sort of explain (laughs) what a cavalier is, please. Well, I I should back up a little bit and say that um, the original inspiration for this this book is an opera. I was going to ask you about that. I'm going to ask you all about that. I can't wait to hear that. Go ahead. So um, so if this sounds a little archaic, it is. Um, but that's what I love about old New York families. Um, they have all these lovely archaic traditions. And the archaic tradition in uh, Ox's family is that the sort of scion asks his bride to marry him by by proxy, essentially. So a cavalier, a young gentleman uh, in the old terms, uh, would come and bring this heirloom engagement ring to the Intended bride. At that point, um, you would hope that the proposal itself is a done deal, so you wouldn't have any embarrassing moments, uh, you know, during the uh, uh, during the ceremony itself. But then this cavalier comes and proposes to the intended in this very ceremonial, and she moment. accepts. But then she falls in love with the man who was supposed to just be at the stand-in, and trouble ensues, and backgrounds are exposed, and a murder is discovered. And what happens next in the book is full of glamour and wit and very delicious twists, and it's a saga of divided loyalties and dangerous revelations and surprising, more surprising twists, and it was just a fantastic read, and I thank you for that. And now we're going to get to the opera, because I, I, I'm very interested in this. You, you say that A Certain Age is a beguiling, sort of a, a reinterpretation of Richard Strauss's comic opera, Dear Rosenkavalier, but you put it in sort of Gatsby's New York. Mm-hmm. So so tell us about that. Well, you know, it, it's an opera that I've always loved. And interestingly, it was, was written in 1911, I believe. Uh, and Strauss himself was a, pretty much a cutting-edge composer. So his music was, you know, it was, it was, you were starting to see a much more modern vein of opera. And yet, 
This opera is set in 18th century Vienna, and it's this woman who is married to the field marshal of, of Austria. So he is the marshal, and she is the marshalin. Uh, so hence, uh, their their New York last name is is Marshall. And uh, I always loved this opera because. It's it's an intriguing triangle. First of all, this this older woman who who's having an affair with a young man. She's got this husband who is a philanderer. So she eventually turns turns elsewhere for love, and then of course you know you have this family tradition in the opera. Ox is actually her cousin, but he's trying. He's old family, and they're trying to marry. Uh, he's trying to marry a young, wealthy upstart, uh, a newly ennobled family in in Vienna. So what we're seeing here is themes of old versus new. Old money versus new money, tradition uh, versus this sort of new rising age, and uh, you know all this sort of classism, ageism, all these things. And particularly, what is compelling about this opera is the character of if, if Teresa, uh, Teresa Marshall, in in my story. You know, she's older, you know, she's about, it, it, he doesn't specify her age, but she's, you know, kind of late 30s, early 40s. And she's at that moment where she was once yeah. the thing. She yeah. was once extremely hot stuff. And she knows her time is passing. It's time to pass this torch of beauty on to the younger age. And she's unwilling to let go. And yet at the end of the opera, she performs this act of extraordinary grace. And she's such an interesting, compelling figure. And and I, I thought this would make a great retelling in 1920s New York, because that is all about old versus new. I've been right. wanting to tell the story of the 1920s for some time, but I wanted to find the right vehicle. And this, to me, was the vehicle to tell that story, this huge surge of modernism overturning the romanticism of of the 19th century in in the wake of the First World War, which was such a devastating effect for Western civilization. So I knew this was the right story for this period, and, and I just couldn't wait to start telling it. Now, you also scatter throughout the book some excerpts from a newspaper column, right? It was mm-hmm. a column that was written in the New York World by Helen Rowland, and the column was entitled Bachelor Girl, and you, you, you lead every chapter with these sayings. So tell us a little bit about Helen and, and that column. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I came across her when I was doing another book, and I was looking for quotes on something or other, and so, you know, you Google certain keywords, and she kept coming up in these quotes about love and marriage, and I realized that I, she, there were so many delicious quotes that I couldn't restrain myself, and I, I, knew, I was like, you know, I'm going to write a book where she's got the, you know, at the heading of each chapter, she's she's going to have a quote. So, and I knew that this was the right book because, of course, she was writing at the turn of the century. She would have been about Teresa's contemporary. And uh, she's obviously a real person. She was a writer. She eventually did marry. And she wrote this column that was, you know, it was a very, very popular column. It was syndicated. Like Bradshaw it was one day. of the, exactly. Yeah. And it was one of the earliest sort of mass syndicated columns. And that's another thing you see the rise of in the 1920s, which is another reason I made these similar sort of gossipy columns that 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 introduce uh, sort of my murder mystery story is because that was such a rising medium of the day. That was one of those new things that transformed society in the 1920s that I wanted to tap into. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your sort of your relationship with your readers and, and uh-huh. how that plays into your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love my readers and I am very reader focused when I write. I guess what I want to write is a book 
that is complicated and layered and very connected to history, which I love, yeah. but that it is a drama. It is not about the history. Yeah. Um, the history is about the people that are, you know, that are, that are acting on the stage. It's, it's, it's the setting. So the good novelist is the one who creates a world that completely absorbs you in its believability. And that's what I want to do is to suck the reader into the world where I don't, I'm not giving them history lectures. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's the wallpaper. Exactly. And, and, and it's the drama that's taking place and it should be absolutely relevant and specific to the period that it's in. They, they should be facing struggles that people then would be facing right. and the zeitgeist that they right. are immersed in. Uh, and I want to, to immerse my readers in that, such that they don't feel, it doesn't feel clunky or quote-unquote historical. Right. It just feels like vintage women's fiction, you know, it's a, you know, a story that is simply told in a historical setting. Yes, I like that. Vintage women's, <laughs> women's fiction. fiction. I think well, vintage, should, vintage I think is a more appealing word. I think you're I think, right. Anyway, and yes. And I, I think that that's accurate yes. to, Historic, what, to what you're it writing. It scares people, historical. Sometimes people who don't usually read historical fiction, they think of this sort of dry epic or tome heavy handed yeah. um but you know that's you know my my point is not to necessarily be an education uh, on a particular period there's wonderful narrative nonfiction out there which is what i read before i write right, right, right. um what i want to do is to not um teach you french on a blackboard i want to take you to france and Perfect. have you live as a french person and learn it that way all right so this is my last question were you to be banished to a desert island <laughs> and you were only allowed to take three books what would you take oh i hate that question how bad. do i narrow it down um bad. i would i can't decide which one i would have to think about that longer but certainly one of patrick o'brien's books okay, yep. um i would certainly take i think i would have to take some Jane Austen, because I think like for most young women, that was sort of one of my introductions to adult literature was was Jane Austen. Although I think I would go with persuasion. Um, if you're watching carefully in 100 Summers, you will see that there is a little bit of persuasion in there, um, the lost love that returns. Third book. Oh, gosh. You know, maybe I'd go with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I go with nonfiction. There's this great book um, I was reading about the 1920s, which is what really fueled a lot of the ideas in this book. And it was actually written in, I believe, 1931 or 32. So my expectations when this book was handed to me, it's called Only Yesterday. My expectations were kind of low. I was thinking, okay, history book written in 1932. This is going to be very dry. No, it had this great, witty, vibrant voice. I mean, it was a page turner, and it's all about the twenties. And he's—I mean, it's a very. And he's writing right. You know, he's writing after the, thing, the crash. It seems like it's seems like it's so close. It's One so wonders immediate. if he could have the could have the perspective. Well, he that... had the perspective of knowing that there was a crash. Yeah. And subsequently, I think they were really just kind of at the leading edge of the depression yeah. at that point. Uh, well, certainly when he was writing it, and by the time, of course, it was published. But it's so fresh because he's not looking at it from the perspective of somebody in the 1960s with all the perspective of World War II and yeah, the yeah, sexual yeah. revolution. I mean, that's yeah. You realize it. there's a whole chapter on sex because sex becomes at the forefront in the 20s, from being completely in the Victorian closet, sex is everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's doing it, you know. You know, everyone is getting drunk 
in public despite prohibition, almost because of prohibition. You know, we've seen, you know, there's this scene in, and I I wrote a short story about Octavian. Uh, It's called An American Airman in Paris, and it's about uh, his years in the war, and it's part of um, the the anthology Fall of Poppies about the First World War. And at one point, this woman comes into this bar, and she's wearing this practically transparent dress that you can actually, you know, see her nipples. And I had someone come back to me, you know, as we were sort of marketing this saying, really? Yeah, are you, you know, sure that's accurate? I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, in yeah. Paris at night, yes, in yeah. a bar, of course, you know, you know, people were really pushing boundaries in such a huge way. You wanted to shock your, your, your goal was to shock because there was this sense that after such an event as the first world was war, there, there was nothing else left. You know, you might as well just break every rule in the book because look what the old rules had done for us. It had taken us to war. So all your morals and your honor and your virtue, that yeah. is what led us into war. Let's just forget all this and be as shocking and daring, just literally shocking and daring for its own sake to find meaning in that lack of meaning, which is really, you know, such the essence of the 1920s. Now, what, re- repeat the name of the book. It's called Only Yesterday, and as usual, I'm blanking on the name. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, put it in the we'll put it. Yeah, in the it description. was. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll that, yeah. You'll, you'll, if you Google it, you'll find yeah, yeah, it. Only sure. Yesterday, um, and uh, it, it was just really. Fa- I was read it on an airplane, and it just it was great. It was it, it was an airplane read of all things. Yeah, how you know? interesting. Exactly. That's and terrific. and so I just ended that book convinced that, you know, this book had to be my next book, um, a certain age. I really wanted now, it was still fresh in my mind to write about the 20s. And you wrote another airplane book, which is a <laughs> terrific book called A Certain Age yes, by Beatrice Williams, so. which we've been talking about, which publishes <laughs> on June 28th, and it's available wherever print books, ebooks, or audiobooks are sold. Thank you so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts. All brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.